Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Pirelli tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. And a big part of the success of OutKick, Jason Martin. He is sitting in with me here on Monday. I'm going to be out in L.A. all week, meaning we'll have a lot of fun with uh, Jason Martin in with us as well. A little bit of moving parts, all the different fun and shenanigans that will be taking place. Encourage you to watch Lock It In. Uh, I've got a wacky schedule this week because I'll, like I said, be in L.A. Um, We also want to mention here off the top, uh, thanks to all the veterans. Um, I'm not going to go into a long spiel about how important you guys are. You know how unbelievably uh, monumental your work has been to allow us to sit around and talk about the things that we talk about every day on this show, which in the grand scheme of life are not very serious. I know many of you who are listening right now across the country have served your country or have family members who have. So on this Monday, this Veterans Day, let's, uh, let's pause to remember all of the work and effort and sacrifice that has been made by our soldiers uh, across this nation to allow us to enjoy what we did, which was a lot of college football and NFL games over the weekend. And I'm going to bring in Jason Martin. I was at the Titans-Patriots game, and I am still stunned over what I saw. Not that the Titans necessarily won, but that this is not the Patriots that you ever see. The Patriots may get beat in September, they may not play very well out of the gate. They started this season 1-2, and two, and they lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they lost to the Detroit Lions. But then they righted the ship. They had won six games in a row. Frankly, they hadn't really even been challenged, and the Titans just came out and dominated them. In all facets of this game, from the opening kick, the Titans get a great kickoff return, go down, take the lead 7-0, The Patriots come back, kick a field goal from over 50 yards to make it 7-3. 
And then they're really not closer than that the rest of the game. I kept expecting for Brady and the Patriots to make a run. I anticipated that there would be some sort of big-time play that would ignite the Patriots' offense, and it just never happened. And offensively, the Titans uh, were able to stifle everything that Brady wanted to do. They made Brady look old. I thought in particular one of the plays that happened, I don't know why they decided to do it, they ran the throwback pass to Tom Brady that I think we last saw in the Super Bowl, seemed desperate by the Patriots. But as Tom Brady caught the ball, he stumbled, he got stopped short of the first down, he took a big hit, and he looked 41 years old there running in the open field. And I know, look, the Patriots are 7-3, and three, and a lot of people are going to say, look, the Patriots have been 7-3 and three before, and they found their way into the Super Bowl anyway. This is now the second time this season that Bill Belichick has gone, gone up against former assistants, uh, obviously, Mike Vrabel was uh, was a longtime Patriots star. And before that, Matt Patricia got a win, which the Detroit Lions are not very good, but they made the Patriots and Brady look old. I, I'm trying to sit here even in the wake of that game and figure out whether this performance told me more about the Titans or if it told me more about the Patriots. Now, I've hit you with the Patriots angles there. Uh, Josh Gordon, they couldn't get him open. Adoree Jackson shut him down. Obviously, Gronk didn't play. So if you're a Patriots fan or you're someone who believes the Patriots dynasty is not over, that has to be factored in. But since Marcus Mariota has basically come back healthy from the injury that he got to his ulnar nerve in the first half of the first game of the season against the Miami Dolphins, he's played phenomenally well. And he was outstanding in the first half. He was outstanding uh, pretty good on third down when he needed to be. His performance, I thought, was really, really good against the Patriots. Deion Lewis has been a revelation. Derrick Henry even came in and got a couple of touchdowns. Corey Davis looked like, for the first time, uh, second time this season, a big-time top-five wide receiver pick, which he was. He's only in his second season. I don't know what's going to happen. The Titans go on the road against the Colts. The Colts got a big win. They're back to 4-5. and five. If you're a Colts fan, you're sitting around saying, hey, we can get to 5-5 five and five if we beat the Titans this coming Sunday now. But for the first time in a while, I felt like maybe this told us a lot about the Titans, who are a young team, and the Patriots, who looked old. I don't think it was just the Patriots not playing well. I think it was the Titans putting everything together. Defensively, they give up 10 points, and it stuns a lot of people. But through nine weeks, the Titans have the number one scoring defense in the NFL, and I'll tell you, they looked like it against the, uh, against the Patriots. And when you consider that they've played two games in six days, Get a big win over the Dallas Cowboys that put Jason Garrett well onto the hot seat. And then you, six days later, get a win against Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Maybe the Titans are actually pretty decent. You could at least sketch out that idea because if you change two plays, the Titans are 7-2. and two. If they convert the, uh, sec- uh, the two-point conversion in London against the Chargers, who are obviously a very good football team, and if they uh, manage to catch a touchdown pass against the Buffalo Bills in the worst performance of the year probably by the Titans, at least in all that, well, maybe the Ravens was. What did this tell us? I mean, are you with me, Jay Mart? You're trying to sit here and you, you saw what happened, but at no point in time did the Patriots ever seem like they were remotely the dynastically dominant team that we've grown used to. And it wasn't just that the Titans won, it was that they dominated the Patriots in all facets of the game. Yeah, I'll give you my thoughts on that game in a second, but... I need to tell you, I believe I've become your good luck charm. 
I've gone from being a bad luck charm to a good luck charm. Saturday, I'm in Knoxville with some great friends, uh, spending the day there. I went and saw Tennessee and Kentucky, and the Vols flat out annihilated Kentucky. Yeah, just dominated them, which of course made you happy, and you were just dunking on Kentucky fans like you were really trolling hardcore, like you were Vrabel in the floor throwing to Mariota after uh, Brady that's made an his unbelievable catch. Play. Yes, I did enjoy. Look, Kentucky fans. Well, when I'm proven to be correct. And we got to pause in me being correct because Missouri wasn't able to beat Kentucky like I think Missouri would beat Kentucky like if they played again next week, for instance. But we got a beat down from Georgia, and I called it a couple of weeks ago. I said Tennessee is going to beat Kentucky, and they did. So the big win for uh, for the University of Tennessee against Kentucky. Kentucky comes in ranked number 11, thinking they're going to win 10 games this year, and that was a beat down. And then we got another beatdown. Did you go to this game yeah. as well yesterday? Yeah, I was on the. I, I got home from Knoxville at about four fifteen, four twenty a.m. on Sunday, and I had somebody had sent me a message. Somebody in the media and said, "Hey, I've got a single for you if you want to go." So I went and I sat on the thirty yard line in the lower. It's the best seats I've ever had. Yep. To see, and I, honestly, part of part of the allure to me, other than the fact that after you beat the Cowboys, if you're the Titans, all of a sudden that game becomes more interesting because your season's not over. The second thing was, I never got to see Peyton Manning play in person. Never saw him at Tennessee. Never saw him in Indianapolis. Never saw him when he played for my Denver Broncos. So I wanted to see Brady in person. Yeah. I wanted to have that experience, and I saw Tom Brady in person. I necessarily want to see him win. So I, you know what, the Tennessee Titans are strange in that they can lose to anybody, but they really like to punch up against good teams. Their best performances this year against the Philadelphia Eagles, they were in the Super Bowl and just won it. Against the New England Patriots, they were in the Super Bowl. Marcus Mariota had two great performances. He outdueled Carson Wentz at home back in Week Four. Here comes Tom Brady, nearly doubles his QBR. Does Marcus Mariota? Everything about it, it was just one of those moments where you realize that the Tennessee Titans do have a lot of talent. The frustrating thing is they'll go and they'll lose to Buffalo, or they won't show up against Miami, or they'll get blown out by the Baltimore Ravens and Joe Flacco, and the Ravens haven't won a game basically since they beat down the Titans here in Nashville. That's what's infuriating about it. So what did we learn about the Titans? We learned that they can play. We learned that there is talent. We learned that this coaching staff seems to be putting it together. And I think one other thing, I don't, I'm still the guy that's a little skeptical about Marcus, but now that he's taken this glove off his hand, now that the ulnar nerve is sort of back for pe- under for control. For people who don't know, we should say this, because I, I feel like a lot of people are, are they're paying attention now to what happened against the Patriots. But the Titans have been, other than Monday Night Football, this has been a, a week where suddenly the Titans have looked like they might be a relevant NFL franchise. Marcus Mariota got hurt in, in his elbow, his ulnar nerve, in week one. And he was not able to play in week two. And then Blaine Gabbert got knocked out with a concussion against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so Marcus Mariota has been playing with a glove on, but he has not had feeling in his throwing hand in the pinky or in the, uh, in, in the uh, index finger. And so, or, or the ring finger. What I have been told, at least by people who are understanding of this injury, is that there's just been a dull ringing sensation in his hand, but he has no feeling in it. And this is something that gradually heals itself. But you can imagine, as a quarterback, why it would be difficult. If you can't feel your fingers when you're trying to make a throw, it's really hard to be able to stretch the field. It's really hard to be able to make uh, normal throws. And, in fact, he tried to play with this week one against Miami, 
and he threw two interceptions, yes. right? And so he just hasn't had touch in his hand for anything over like 15 yards. And he took the glove off after the bye week, finally started to be able to play without it against uh, the, the, the Cowboys on Monday night, and he played without it. And he's looked like a completely different quarterback, frankly. In the last three games, he's looked like a top-10 NFL quarterback, which is really kind of the debate that people have had about Marcus Mariota for a while. His ceiling has been good, but his floor has been too low. Has he finally gotten to the point where he's got a good, solid ceiling and his floor is reduced? I don't know, but the last three weeks he's looked like it. Yeah, he has. I mean, he's really had one bad quarter, and that was the, the awful quarter that the Titans had on Monday, the first quarter. And that's when they decided, okay, either our season's over right here or Dallas has gifted us a second chance by Dak throwing one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen yep. to Kevin Byard in the end zone because he was trying to force it to the guy they just paid a premium for to get Amari Cooper into Dallas. But if you want to look at the Patriots and what you learned about New England on the flip side, it is that they have not been good on the road. And if they don't have home field advantage going into the playoffs, I am not going to pick them to beat Kansas City on the road. I'm not sure I would pick them to beat Pittsburgh on the road right now either. Their two road wins this year are against the Bills. And if you remember that Monday night game, the Bills were in that game. They didn't look good. Patriots did not look no, good in that game. No, not at all. And then the following week, or the week before rather, they beat the Chicago Bears. But if you remember, Mitchell Trubisky threw a Hail Mary that would have tied it at the end of the game. It's not like they blew anybody out on the road. They lost to the Lions and looked terrible on Sunday night football in the second week of the season. Of course, we remember what happened against the Jaguars, who we've now figured out are not very good when they went to Jacksonville and lost. At Foxborough, you don't beat them. We've seen them beat great teams. They beat the Chiefs at home. You know, They won last week against Aaron Rodgers. They are extremely good at home. I think Tom Brady's only lost twice at home since 2006, which is an absurd statistic. But if you can get them away from Foxborough, their secondary is not very good. Their running game is very spotty. The Titans were giving up a lot more yards than they have the last two years. They they were a top-five run defense the last two seasons. This year, they've been giving up about 50 yards more a game on the ground than they have the past two seasons. And then they gave up, I think it was 28 yards rushing on this game against the Patriots. And I kept waiting, as did you, as did everybody else, for the Patriots to throw these haymakers and fight back into the game because that's what the Patriots do. And it never happened. Tennessee throttled them and beat them down. Beat them in every facet to the extent that Mike Vrabel realized he had the better team. That's why he did that play to Marcus Mariota. <laughs> he trolled Bill Belichick, of all people, and he ended up... I mean, you don't see the Patriots lose, much less get thumped like that. It was unbelievable to me. Yeah, the, if you didn't watch the game, uh, the Patriots did the throwback play to Tom Brady that they did also in the Super Bowl against the Eagles. By the way, the incompletion in the Super Bowl looked better than the catch that Tom Brady made in Nashville yesterday. Brady looked old as he was Real running old. in the open field. And when I saw the play happen, and I was there like you watching it in person, my thought was, why in the world is Bill Belichick running this play? I mean, it's a desperation play, but you also were going to get Brady hit. And Brady took a lot of shots from the Titans. They they put a lot of pressure on him. Um, and then the Titans came back and ran almost the identical play as like a, uh, I saw what you did, now watch us execute yeah. it much better. And, and Mariota caught a pass for 21 yards, and it was totally unnecessary at that point, right? It's 27-10, basically the game's over. The other thing I would say is, if you had told me, 
that one team was going to win this game by 24 points. Oh, yeah. And that Tom Brady was going to not play the final seven minutes of the game. I would have thought that I would have bet a lot of money that the Titans were going to come out and get run. And I don't know. You hit on it. I mean, the, the Patriots can't run the football. They ran it 19 times for 40 yards against the Titans. I mean, maybe it's time to acknowledge that the Titans actually do have a really good defense. Malcolm Butler, who uh, was signed by the Titans after Brent being benched by uh, Bill Belichick, he had an unbelievable game. I mean, and by unbelievable game, I mean nobody even mentioned him. We which didn't is, throw at him. Yeah, I was they, waiting for them to challenge him all day, and he was on Chris Hogan, and Chris Hogan basically was on a milk carton the whole day. Malcolm Butler's given up six touchdowns this season where he's been the nearest defender in coverage, second worst in the NFL, only to Marcus Peters, who has seven, and of course gave up that big score uh, for the Saints last week as a member of the Rams. Butler has been not just bad, but putrid all season long, and it seemed like Brady never even looked in his direction. It, it surprised me. Now, again, if you're a Patriots fan, you can say they didn't have Gronk, but Gronk has only got one touchdown. Gronk has not been very Gronk-like so far. And I think if, like, in a larger scheme on the NFL, you know, what did we learn here? I think you hit on a key point. The Patriots are now 7-3. and three. The uh, Kansas City Chiefs have a two-game lead if you're watching the race for who's going to have home field advantage in the AFC. And the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously, uh, just a mediocre performance, I would say, against the Cardinals getting the win yesterday. But they now go on the road for a massive game against the Rams, but it's not as massive of a game as it could have been for the Chiefs. Still massive for the Rams, right, as they try and pursue uh, and keep pace with uh, the Saints after their loss there. But... For the Chiefs, you can even say, okay, we don't have to win this game in Mexico City against the Rams because now we have an extra breather. And as you come down the stretch, I don't know. I mean, I I just legitimately at this point in time would have – I mean, look, the Chiefs are 9-1 and one and the uh, and the, the, the Patriots are 7-3. and three. But as you come down the stretch, I think you have to make the Chiefs a substantial favorite. Yes. Now, the Chiefs have had their own house of horrors at Arrowhead, right? They lost last year to the Titans. They've lost to everybody in the playoffs. They can't ever advance. But with Patrick Mahomes and everything else that's going well for them, I think you have to make the Chiefs a prohibitive favorite right now in uh, in the AFC based on the fact that they've now opened up a two-game in the loss column lead. We know that they have a tie break, so it's really more like one and a half or whatever else. But this was a big swing game for the Chiefs. If you are a Chiefs fan, you have to be ecstatic. Now, you look ahead at what the Patriots have, right? They get the Jets. I think everybody out there would be stunned based on the way the Jets played against the Bills. They got run by the Bills. I think everybody out there who's watched the AFC East over the years say, look, the Patriots are going to have a bye week, and then they're going to come back, and they're going to obliterate uh, the Jets. That'll get the Patriots to 8-3. and three. They got a big game against the Vikings. Look, the Vikings coming into town. The Vikings seem to have righted the ship a little bit, but it's a big game with the Patriots. Then the Patriots go on the road against the Dolphins, and that, to me, is a really significant game because the Patriots have not traditionally been very good on the road in Miami, right? If you had to point to an AFC East uh, opponent that has done well against the Patriots, you would say it's the Dolphins. Then you have to go on the road against the Steelers, and the Steelers seem like they have everything rolling. We know what the Steelers are going to want to do to the Patriots based on the way the last game these guys played ended with the Jesse James should have been a touchdown, wasn't a touchdown. Um, and then you get two that you should win if you're the Patriots. You get the Bills and the Jets at home. So really, to me, the question is going to be in that three-game stretch, right? The Patriots now are 7-3. and three. How do they do with the Vikings coming to New England? 
How will they do on the road against Miami? And then how will they do on the road against the Steelers? I think 2-1 and one is probably what you would hope to get if you are a Patriots fan right now. That gets you to 12-4. and 12-4 four. and four is good. Might get you a bye, maybe, depending on how the Steelers are going to finish out the season. But I don't think 12-4 and four is going to be anywhere near good enough to have home field. And this is not a Patriots team so far that has looked like they're capable of going on the road and beating the Chiefs. Now, having said that, if you're a Patriots fan, you're looking around saying, why, would we, why in the world would we be afraid of the Chiefs? The Chiefs haven't won a playoff game in forever. The odds of them going out and winning a divisional round playoff against somebody like the Steelers or that ilk is low. And so we still feel like if we get a bye, we get to 12-4, and four, we'll be fine. Now, that's assuming the wheels don't come off. I don't think the wheels are going to come off because fortunately, even if you are of the belief that the Patriots are starting to downcycle, you got the Jets, you've got the Jets twice, and you've got the Bills still left on this schedule. Worst case scenario, I find it unbelievable that the Patriots would lose any of those three. That gets you to 10. You win one more, you're at 11. So uh, I think all of those things kind of factor in. But again... This is a loss that I think you have to sit back and contemplate. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I thought that Mississippi State was clearly diving at Tua's knee. I thought they were trying to injure him. After the game, there was a little bit of a fracas between Mississippi State and Alabama players with Alabama players taking offense If Tua gets hurt and isn't able to play in the SEC title game or certainly in the the playoff, I'm going to feel cheated. And when I saw that hit, I thought it was cheap from Mississippi State. I thought it was dirty. And I don't think the NFL would stand for it. I think college needs to do a better job of protecting their guys. And when I saw that hit, I said, there's no way the NFL would stand with for a helmet straight to the knee because we saw what happened with Brady years ago. I think that was in Kansas City when he got hit and he missed the entire season and they went in and they continued to adjust the rules. You may think that quarterbacks are being too protected, but it's just the NFL saying, hey, the big-time star quarterbacks in our league need to be protected and we need to make sure that we're not getting them hit. And I think college needs to be more proactive in sending out a message. And maybe this is something where the SEC commissioner needs to get involved. I know there's all this tension about how much are you protecting Alabama, how much are you not. But I thought it was a dirty play. And now that Tua is acknowledged to be weak in one knee, I think teams are aware the only way we're going to beat Alabama is if Tua is not playing. Because the drop-off from Tua to Jalen Hurts is great to good. Alabama's good with Jalen Hurts. They are great with Tua. And I think the defensive players know it. And I think they're trying to injure Tua right now. It's two straight weeks I've seen where I think he's taken really cheap shots. One right to the groin, the other one dead on to that knee. And I think it was intentional. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. I didn't feel as if we learned that much more than we didn't already know about the college football playoff picture in general. My top four is going to be the same as your top four, same as the playoff committee's top four is going to be on Tuesday night when they release it. I think it'll be in this order as well. Bama's your one, one of the best, most dominant 10-game runs we've ever seen in the history of college football. Second spot, Clemson. They went on the road, handled Boston College. That defense from Clemson really shut down everything Boston College was trying to do, but for a punt return touchdown, Pretty dominant performance against a top 25 road opponent from Clemson. I think personally that Alabama and Clemson have distinguished themselves as by far the two best teams in college football through 10 weeks of the season. 
10 games of the season. In the three spot, I would have Notre Dame. Uh, even without Ian Book, I mean, Florida State has just fallen to such a degree that there was absolutely no moment in time you ever thought, hey, maybe Florida State's going to be able to win this game. I don't know if Willie Taggart's going to get things turned around at FSU, but I do know that's a proud program that isn't anywhere near what they have been historically right now. And meanwhile, Notre Dame is continuing to win. Notre Dame now, two games left. They got Syracuse, tough game, in New York, and then they go all the way across the country to L.A. and play against USC. They win both of them. They're going to be the equivalent of the golfer who posts a great score and is just there hanging out in the clubhouse waiting to see what everybody else is going to do. All right, in the four spot, I don't think there's any doubt. It's Michigan. Now, I've got Georgia as my five. Uh, DeAndre DeAndre Swift Swift has become a revelation for Georgia, uh, replacing Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. It's amazing how good he has been so far this year. He has taken over at times – uh, for Georgia, and maybe he's going to continue to do that. Georgia's my five. got to be honest with you. The one thing I think we learned, I don't think Oklahoma has the defense to be able to remotely contend in the college football playoff. They've got a great offense. We know already that everything Lincoln Riley turns to gold when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. But he fired Mike Stoops because they couldn't play defense, and they continue to get run and passed all over. And frankly, Mike Gundy called a perfect two-point conversion there. And if the throw had been on the mark, it's a tough throw with a rollout, Oklahoma State might well win that football game. Now, given how good Kyler Murray has been, maybe Oklahoma would have just come right down the field and kicked a field goal or scored another touchdown to win. Kyler Murray, I think, other than Tua Tagovailoa, is the best quarterback in college football this year. But that Oklahoma defense is not good enough to contend for a championship. And... I have dropped Oklahoma in my overall outkick top 10. I just ran through the top five. In the sixth spot, I bumped up Washington State. You might say that's crazy. I have now bumped West Virginia above Oklahoma because at least I have seen West Virginia's defense perform well enough that I believe they could show up and pitch a good performance in a game. I don't feel like that at all about Oklahoma. And then I got Ohio State who – there were a couple of plays to me that I thought were extraordinary in terms of big-time uh, calls. I thought the Mike Gundy go-for-two call, the play call that they called in, was perfect. It should have worked. should have been a two-point conversion. I thought the decision by Mark D'Antonio to take an uh, intentional safety changed that game. Great drop punt by Ohio State. It's 7-6, to six, I believe, at that point in time. They run three straight passes, all incomplete, and then they take an intentional safety. Then they shank the fair, the free kick out of bounds. Ohio State's got the ball at the 50, and they've got two points, and they never really felt threatened again. So I thought those two calls were uniquely the ones that really stood out. But that is my breakdown of the college football playoff picture. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I want to dive into college football here. We've talked a lot of NFL. We continue to talk a lot of NFL in this show as well. I encourage you to go download the podcast. You can always reach out to me on uh, Twitter at Clay Travis. Got a fun show rolling here with Jason Martin sitting in with me. You may remember J-Mart as the producer who got OutKick rolling uh, and has uh, obviously had a, a lot of success since then. But, uh, Jason Martin, when you look at college football and what we just saw happen in the weekend that was, 
We've talked about some of the hypotheticals. I'd encourage you to go listen to hour one and hour two. But I want to hit you with this hypothetical here now as we talk about what we saw from college football. What do you need to see from Alabama? They're 10 weeks in. They've won every game by 22. I went back and I looked at 2001 Miami. Before 2002 Miami when they lost on what I still think was a bogus pass interference call in the end zone. But 2001 Miami. The 4 USC team that won a title and then lost in 5 in that epic contest between USC and Texas on the late Vince Young touchdown. Two undefeated teams, probably the greatest college football team I've ever seen, uh, game I've ever seen, started the 2006 year in the Rose Bowl between USC and Texas. And I went back and looked even at 1995 Nebraska. Uh, the Tommy Frazier team that scored 60 on Florida was virtually unstoppable. They were a revelation, all three of those teams. Alabama through 10 weeks is better than all of those teams from a statistical measure. There are a lot of good Nebraska teams, a lot of good USC teams, and an awfully lot of good Miami teams over the years. I think potentially this Alabama team is better than all of them. They're going to beat Citadel. Let's take that off the table. I think they're going to beat Auburn pretty easily. Jason Martin, what do you need to see to prove that this is the greatest college football team of the modern era? And when I say modern era, I mean a post-integrated college football landscape, right? The last 50 years, basically, of college football. Because I don't know about 1920s Big Ten football or the 1930s. SEC football or anything else like you can look all those teams up but it's such a different era that I think the last 40 or 50 years is a good window there are a lot of people listening to us now that would have watched a lot of those games over the years what do you need to see from Alabama at this point forward to convince you that they are the greatest football team in college of most of our lives well this is a cheap answer first and then I'll get to a better answer but the cheap answer is they have to finish first they've got to win the national championship I, I mean, I think that most of us believe that that's what's going to happen. They're certainly on the list. If you're talking about future success, you can't really predict it. I don't know if this team has the level. The best team I've ever seen, just from a pure talent standpoint, is the 0-1 Miami Hurricanes. That team's utterly ridiculous. Like, I could go through the roster, but if you talk about NFL success, a lot of guys off that team had major NFL success. You've got multiple Hall of Famers on that team I mean just absolutely incredible across the field the depth chart guys that couldn't even get on the field were studs in the NFL but if you look at just dominance this Alabama team should they keep this up should they dominate for the remainder of the season in the way that they have to this point I think you can easily make that argument I don't know that you need to see anything more there's nothing more that this Alabama team can do to prove any more dominance than they already have. They just have to continue to throttle people for the remainder of the season, finish this thing with another crystal football in the hands of Nick Saban, and then I think you can easily make that argument. It is amazing to think about, and and I've been saying for a while that Tua Tagovailoa is a cheat code, right? That he allows Alabama to do things that they haven't been able to do historically in the past, right? that it's one thing if you have a really talented defense. It's another thing if you have a workman-like quarterback, the likes of which uh, a Blake Sims or a Jacob Coker or even an A.J. McCarron, right? A guy who's pretty good 
but isn't a different level success. But to have a guy who is this good right now at this point in time is, I think, pretty extraordinary. Now, Tua still has some issues. We talked about in hour two the fact that I believe there's potentially some cheap hits that are going on with him. But by and large, as you look across the entirety of what Alabama is capable of this year, I really do think with 22 points they've won every game by, even Mississippi State was able to have some success against them on the offensive side of the ball. It's still pretty extraordinary to think about what is out there for Alabama to grab. It's not just a national championship. It's not just being the first 15-0 and team in the history of college football in major college football. It's to be the greatest college football team of all time. I mean, that's what Alabama's playing for now. And you can say, oh, you know, I'm looking around, I'm watching Clemson, I'm watching Michigan, I'm watching uh, Notre Dame, or maybe you're out there and you believe Oklahoma's the answer, or West Virginia, or maybe you think Georgia in the SEC title game. To me right now, what we're playing for, are we witnessing the greatest team we have ever seen? And I think there's a pretty good chance, if you look at all the data, you look at all the analytics, best defense, best offense, maybe the only thing you can actually gig Alabama for, ding them for, is they can't make field goals or extra points. And maybe that's going to ultimately be what costs them. But only if they play a close game. And so far, they haven't played a close game. What has to happen for Alabama to play a close game? Everything has to go wrong. I mean, that's that's the thing. It is one loss in football, so anything can technically happen. But they have to have their worst day and you have to have your best in order to beat them. And that, I think, is the highest compliment that you can pay any sports team, is that you guys have to stink up the joint unlike anything we've ever seen, and they've got to be on point in all facets to have a chance to beat you. That was not true under Jalen Hurts. It wasn't true under A.J. McCarron. It wasn't true under Greg McElroy. It wasn't true under Blake Sims or any of those guys, even though you know most all of them won national championships but it is absolutely true here. Like, Tua's got to go out and throw four interceptions or he's got to get knocked out of the game. Honestly, I think if Tua plays, you're going to win. Tua almost has to get injured for them to actually lose. That's how good they are. That's how special that offense is. The fact that they are passing to open the run is stunning, especially at Alabama. They have run to open the pass And then they've just continued to run and scored on special teams and defense for years and years and years and years. You call Tua a cheat code, that's absolutely right. He is the Lamborghini. My argument's always been he's the Lamborghini in a garage full of Bentleys, but we really wanted a Lamborghini all this time. And now that we have one, we have the speed that we didn't need before, and now we're just boat racing everybody, and that's what we're seeing. It is really extraordinary to think about. So let me ask you this. Who can beat Alabama? I think Clemson has the best chance to beat Alabama. And I think that's because Trevor Lawrence, as he continues to develop, they have the ability to score points. And they also have the ability to stop another team from scoring. And you may think that sounds crazy, but it's most elemental and basic level. Alabama is so good on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball that I don't think your being good on one side is enough. So if you're not good enough on both sides, Alabama is going to expose you. Oklahoma is good enough on the offensive side to be good against Alabama. Michigan, I think, is good enough on the defensive side to be good against Alabama. Those two teams have a side of the ball that can be competitive. I don't think they have two sides. I think it's only Clemson that can. Do you agree with me that Clemson is really the only team that can beat Alabama? Absolutely. Before the season, I picked Clemson to win the national championship. And then I started watching Alabama. 
and I said, okay, Alabama is going to win and everyone else is playing for second, and it's that simple. But I continue to believe that Dabo knows how to coach against Nick Saban. He is more aggressive when he needs to be. They can score points. The thing about Michigan is, for example, yeah, Michigan's defense could play with Alabama. So what, they give up 21 points? Alabama's not giving Michigan 21 points. That's the thing. You have to be able to do it in multiple facets, and I do think that the two teams that have the best chance to beat Alabama are Clemson and Georgia, not Michigan or Notre Dame. Yeah, and I was already thinking about teams that are going to make the college football playoff. You could argue that Georgia may be the team that actually has the best chance because they're going to get Alabama in a neutral site field. And by the way, neutral in quotation marks, it's 50 miles from their home base. It's a rematch of a game that Georgia fans feel like, but for Tua coming in, they could have won already. And so, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I think there's a decent chance that Georgia could get them, which is why we talked about one of the most difficult hypotheticals. What happens if Georgia beats Alabama? Is 12-1 and Alabama with a close loss to Georgia not still a good enough team that you have to put them in the playoff? And I think that's the challenge that's out there for the college football playoff committee is how do you handle that if it ends up happening That's by far, I think, the most challenging potential landmine. Everybody loves to talk about hypotheticals in the world of college football. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. We got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You already talked about that, but there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes. Cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with. Hilarious emojis for taunting friends when 
when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini-games like Digging for Treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on!